Well, good morning. It is such a delight to be here with you all this morning. Such Christ-exalting worship, beautiful singing, pastoral prayers. Thank you uh, for being an encouragement to me so far, and I do hope that the Lord will encourage you through me as we continue in the service. You know, as a pastor, one of the questions I get asked quite frequently is, how can I help describe faith or illustrate faith to someone when I'm sharing Christ with them. And if you need a good illustration, just take a picture of me standing in this pulpit. When the one on top is bigger than the thing holding it up, (laughs) this is faith. Of course, I'm not sure who's exercising more faith right now, me or your deacons. But if you would, turn with me in your copies of God's holy and inspired word to two texts of scripture. You have these listed for you in your order of service. The first text, which is going to be the primary text for the sermon, comes to us from the end of Mark chapter 1, where we will read verses 40 through 45. When you find that, stick your finger there. Or a bookmark. And turn with me back to the Old Testament. To the third book of the Bible. Leviticus. Where we will read from verses, uh, chapter 13. Where we'll read verses 1 through 11. uh, And then 45 and 46. Leviticus helps us really kind of understand the drama of what is unfolding in Mark 1, verses 40 through 45. Make no mistake that the Scripture, indeed, as God has revealed it to us, is full of truth. It is full of propositions that we are to believe uh, as God's people. But most frequently, the way that the Lord reveals Himself to us in Scripture is through drama. It is through an unfolding narrative in which He reveals something about himself and about his people that we are to cling to. And so I want you to be drawn this morning into the drama of what is unfolding in Mark chapter 1. Drama that really is encapsulated in one word. It's easy to pass over certain words and not really get the full intent of them. And so Leviticus chapter 13, if you would, would you stand with me this morning that we might show our reverence for the reading of God's perfect word. Leviticus 13, beginning in verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body... Then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest, or to one of his sons, the priests. And the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white, and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. But if the spot is white... 
in the skin of his body and appears no deeper than the skin, and the hair in it has not turned white, the priest shall shut up the diseased person for seven days. And the priest shall examine him on the seventh day, and if in his eyes the disease is checked and the disease has not spread in the skin, then the priest shall shut him up for another seven days. And the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day, and if the diseased area has faded and the disease has not spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is only an eruption. And he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the eruption spreads in the skin after he has shown himself to the priest for his cleansing, he shall appear again before the priest. And the priest shall look. If the eruption has spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a leprous disease. When a man is afflicted with a leprous disease, he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall look. And if there is a white swelling in the skin that has turned the hair white, and there is raw flesh in the swelling, it is a chronic leprous disease in the skin of his body, and the priest shall pronounce him unclean. He shall not shut him up, for he is unclean. If you would now, go with me down to verses 45 through 46. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. If you would now over to Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, saying to him, if you will, make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in the desert places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. This is the word of our Lord. Most gracious God and Father, we praise you this morning that you have not left us in the dark after our fall into sin and misery, but that in your grace you have pierced the darkness with the fullness of light and truth in the face in the person, in the touch, in the healing, in the work of our Savior, going to a cross 
being condemned in our place, going outside the camp to die in order that we this morning might approach you with the full boldness of his righteousness to enter into the holy places and to listen. Would you this morning illumine our minds and hearts by your Holy Spirit unto a true understanding of your word? And might you give us grace upon grace that we may indeed receive it with all due reverence, humility, but also joy. And may it lead us to see Christ and that we might put our whole trust in him alone, that our lives might shine as monuments to your eternal loving kindness and to your awesome and glorious grace. We ask this for the sake of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the great shepherd, who came into this world to seek and to save us, his lost sheep. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. This morning, I do not come here to try to teach you something that you don't know. I've not come here to try to illumine to you something that you've never heard. I haven't come here this morning to try to urge you to do something you're not already doing. What I've come this morning to do is to speak a word on behalf of Christ to you to encourage you to continue. To encourage you to continue to seek, to love, and to reach out to those who are hurting, to those who have experienced great trauma as those who may not fit in our society. Although the context of Mark 1 is talking to us about a man with leprosy, make no mistake that even though most of us never come into contact with someone who has leprosy, we most definitely come into contact with people every day who feel like they have been cut off from society. In fact, as you are striving to minister down here, you know, here downtown, you come into great contact with people who feel like the very system in which they are trying to live is arrayed against them. Where there are systemic problems within society that have been placed there specifically to keep certain people out and to secure the power, to secure the... the, um, the good, the true, and the beautiful for a limited number. Have you ever felt like you were on the outside? Ever had that experience of not feeling valued, not being liked, feeling like people were avoiding you or ignoring you or even worse, who were very purposely trying to make your existence difficult. 
This is the world in which we live. It can be for any number of reasons. It can be disease, like this leper here in Mark 1. It can be economic status. It can be race. You minister within an area that has just experienced great tragedy in which race was a motivating factor for terrorism. Where there was a group of people who were not only treated as if they were on the outside, but were executed for it. This is the world in which we live. A world of sin. A world of darkness. A world that is still reeling under the effects of our, of our fallen first parents. The way the world tries to deal with this is through the exercise of power. The way the world tries to deal with this is by trying to exercise their will, collectively seeking to come together in order to elevate themselves by keeping others down. In Mark chapter 1, we get to see a glimpse of what Jesus thinks about that. And we also get to see what Jesus chooses to do because of what he thinks. Have you ever felt like you were on the outside? Here in Mark chapter 1, we have a man whose very existence is defined by being rejected, being on the outside. Even in the way that Mark describes him, notice here in the text it, is not, it does not say that a man with leprosy approaches Jesus. Mark calls him a leper. A leper came to Jesus. Mark chooses to describe him this way as a way of helping us understand that leprosy is not just a disease that this man has. Leprosy is the very thing that defines who he is. It defines his existence. It defines what it means for him to be alive in the world in which he lived. Now, Leviticus 13 helps us understand what it means to be a leper in uh, Israel. It means that you are one who is cut off. This leper is one who has a very serious health problem. Because of this health problem, we are taught that the rest of the community needed to be protected from him. Even in the way that the lepers are described as having to declare out loud whenever they would come near anyone or if anyone started to come near to them, they had to cry out, unclean, unclean. I got to warn you, you need to stay away from me. 
And even in the way that it's described, they didn't just get to say it. They were supposed to say it with their hands covering their mouths as if the very words would contaminate anyone who came near. Unclean. Unclean. The description is short, yet it provides us a wealth of information. On the surface, it doesn't appear to be much of a big deal, and yet is extremely colorful and suspenseful. When we see that a leper is coming to Jesus, we are to see someone exiled from community who is a threat because he is breathing and he approaches Jesus. He is a leper. Leprosy defines his existence. He can't get away from it. He can't forget it. He doesn't get to take a break from it. It's not just something he deals with. It's something that defines his entire existence. It is as if he doesn't have a disease. He is a disease. And because of the social and religious implications of his disease, his entire identity of who he is, how he fits into society, is bound up with being a leper. In Leviticus 13, the leper is described for us. He shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean. Notice, he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. Was there a cure for the disease? No. And so he had it as long as he was alive. Because of this, he was supposed to live alone. His dwelling was outside the camp. Now, this idea of wearing torn clothes and having long hair, you know, this is not a description of someone from Folly Beach. This is not someone who has decided to just kind of unplug and take a break and, you know, try to go out into nature and live by himself to try to, you know, redefine himself. He is being told that for the rest of the time that he is alive, he has to be alone. He has to wear torn, ragged clothes and unkempt hair as a way of physically expressing the inward problem that he has. I am unclean, and you can tell that by the way I dress. Keep your distance, stay away. I am a threat to you. And so he lived outside, or he lived alone. He dwelled outside the camp. There was no normal life for the leper. What if you were married and then developed the disease? What if you had a family and then you developed this disease and you never once again got a hug from your child? That you never once again got to embrace your spouse. That you never once again got to simply shake hands with somebody when you saw them on the street. 
for us former jocks. No more high fives. Can you imagine a world without high fives? Most of the ladies are saying, yes, we we can. We can. In heaven, there will be no high fives. The reality is he lived in this constant state of pollution, and because of that, he could not touch anyone. Think about that. Right now, many of you are touching the person that you're sitting next to, and you've taken it for granted. He's in a constant state of pollution because to touch somebody would be to pass the pollution on. So he was always on the outside, always excluded, always living in exile. But this was not just a physical problem for the leper. And it wasn't just emotional and psychological because of not being able to have human connection and human touch. It was very much a spiritual problem. Life under the Old Covenant was a spiritual life that was designed around the tabernacle and the temple. It was a spiritual life that was designed around a sacrificial system where you had to come and you had to present yourself and you had to present your offering to priests who then would mediate on your behalf and offer the the sacrifice according to God's law. But what happens if you have to dwell outside the camp? Do you have access to the temple? Do you have access to a priest Once you are declared to be unclean, okay, and so they're not, there were were different degrees as Leviticus 13 tells us. Sometimes people had skin diseases and they were put in a special place for a certain amount of time and then the priest would come back and continue to examine them and they still had contact. But if you were like this guy, a leper, you were outside the camp, you had no access to the temple, you had no access to a priest. This leper understands that there is one true God and there is one way that he has revealed himself to be worshipped and he does not have access to it. This is serious stuff. One could only approach through sacrifice and priesthood. But being unclean, he has no access to these provisions. He lived outside the camp so that he would not defile the camp. He lived outside of the temple so that he would not defile the temple. You see, the warning in Leviticus is that the leper, in his very presence, is a threat to pollute God's holiness. As things continued to develop, there was an oral tradition called the Mishnah. And according to the Mishnah, lepers were so polluted and they were to be avoided at at all cost. And so they would describe these different situations. And one of the descriptions that is actually described is you have a leper who's leaning against a tree. 
If someone who is clean walks within a couple feet of the tree, even once the leper has left, that person is now unclean. Now that's not God's law. But that's where the legalists took things. You don't even want to come into close proximity to a tree that has been touched by a leper. At the time of Jesus, we are told through um, one of the the, uh, first century historians that one of the things, provisions that a leper did have is that they could go to synagogue. So he couldn't go to temple. He couldn't have access to uh, the priesthood. He couldn't have access to the, to the altar to, to provide sacrifice. But he could go to synagogue. However, what they did in synagogue was they created these screens. And so all the regular folks sat in their area. And all those that are lepers had to sit behind this screen. Can you imagine going to church and there being something structurally put in place to keep some people from others? Can we imagine what that architecture might look like? Right? A church building with nice pews on the first floor and a balcony erected for others? Can we imagine what that might look like? Can we imagine as those who live in Charleston to have one group of people who had to sit sit separated because they were feared, because they were thought of being less, that their presence was described as being polluting? Can we imagine that? What are the screens that are still erected today? We don't necessarily arrange our churches now to where we have certain people sitting on the floor and other people sitting up in the balcony. But what are the screens that are still in place? You see, what was interesting for the leper is they could show up to synagogue, but they had to sit behind the screen. And so when they would come to the very place in order to hear the word of God read, in order to hear the word of God prayed, in order to hear the word of God sung, the fact that they had to sit behind a screen was a reminder that everything that was going on about the word of God, they didn't have access to because they had to stay behind the screen. What are the screens that we still have erected within our church today? This is what the PCA began to discuss at General Assembly last month. It is what the PCA has directed us to be contemplating this entire coming year. What are the systemic things that are still within the church whereby we have erected them in order to keep certain people down by elevating others? Are there things that we do within the church to purposely keep minorities out in order to retain some sense of southern white heritage? 
be a leper was to be cut off. We may not deal with lepers today, but beloved, we do still cut people off. There are people who walk through these doors, who walk into this place feeling cut off. But there are more people who are walking these streets who will not come in because they feel cut off and they are not confident of being welcomed. There's a lot going on in this word, leper. But that's not the drama. That sets up the drama. The drama is, notice the text. You have this leper, you have one who is supposed to be cut off, living outside the camp, not supposed to be around people. When he gets around people, he's supposed to cover his, uh, he's supposed to show that he is uh, polluted by his clothing, his appearance. He's to cover his mouth to keep people from being polluted from his words. And he is to cry out, unclean, unclean. And what happens, this guy doesn't abide by the rules that have been set in place. Instead, notice what it says, is that he comes to Jesus, and the language that is used here in the original text is is language that's meant to give us the impression that this guy is passionate. That this guy is not just, you know, kind of thinking, well, is that Jesus? Is that the one I've heard of? You know, maybe I should, you know, check this out. You know, I'm not sure. The language is that he rushes over to Jesus. And notice that he doesn't cry out, unclean, unclean. He is a man who is in a desperate condition. He is in a sense, dying to be clean. There is an urgency about him, and his urgency leads him to do what is absolutely unheard of, especially given all the rules in the law and the religious writings of the day. He goes to Christ, and he throws himself down in front of him. He invades Jesus' personal space. And by doing so, make no mistake, he is threatening Christ. This is not just a guy that's down on his luck, thinking maybe this guy, you know, can help me out. He threatens Jesus with his presence. He doesn't warn him. His desperation leads him to cry out with a plea. If you're willing. Now, in a lot of the translations, it says, if you're willing, you can heal me. It's not what it says in the Greek. It says, if you're willing, heal me. It is a plea. It is an urgent cry. Heal me. This is faith. Seeking out hope in Jesus Christ. A man who has no hope, a man who is cut off, has no regular life, no human connection, flies to Jesus, threatens Jesus with his presence, but enacts this cry of faith, heal me. And so what does Jesus think about this man? 
The text says that he is filled with compassion. And that is true. But this idea of compassion means more than the way we tend to use the word compassion. When we think of compassion, we tend to think of Jesus, you know, like, you know, in the old flannel board Sunday school program, you know, Jesus, uh, who's, you know, pictured there nuzzling little sheep. You know, the cute little sheep, and Jesus has it, and he's kind of nuzzling it, and oh, look at the compassionate Jesus. That's not what's intended here. The same word can also be translated in many different ways, including the idea of being angry. Literally, it can be translated as filled with indignation. Not that Jesus is filled with indignation because this leper has invaded his presence. It is the indignation of a Christ who has come to seek and to save the lost and to see the way sin has ravaged this man. Compassion, guys, is not just about trying to warm up to people and trying to be nice to people, almost in this mealy kind of Christian, you know, oh, you know, we just, just want to you know, be nice to you. Compassion involves being angry with the ravages of sin that we see around us. That the drive that we have as the church of Jesus Christ is not simply we have someone to offer you. It is an indignation with what we see keeping people from Jesus. Jesus responds with this indignation, this compassion. He hates the situation that sin has placed this man in. And so what does Christ do? Does he remind him of the rules? Whoa, hey, step back. You didn't say unclean. Does he worry about getting all the order right? Does he say, hey, we've got rules. We've got to make sure we keep the rules. Notice what Jesus does. Because of the compassion, the indignation, Christ breaks the rules. And he turns. And he touches. How long had this man gone without a touch? How long had this man gone without human connection? How long had this man gone without real connection to God? And God turns to him and touches. Can you imagine what that must have felt like, finally receiving human and divine touch all at once? So Jesus turns and he touches. And he tells the leper, you are clean. Make no mistake. Jesus turning and touching puts himself at risk. Jesus shouldn't have done this. Unless he was willing 
to take on this man's pollution. Christ shouldn't have done this unless he was willing to take on this man's disease. Christ shouldn't have done this unless he was willing to take upon himself this man's guilt and this man's exile. Unless his intention was to make the other's sickness his own, he shouldn't have done this. Unless he was willing to go outside the camp as one with the status of being unclean, he shouldn't have done this. But beloved, this is the whole reason that God sent his son. To identify with those who are living outside the camp. Christ came to unite himself with those who were diseased and polluted and sick and cut off and feeling that they had no place in this world. Christ came to unite himself with those who had an inward problem. But not just a disease of leprosy, the greater problem of sin that had brought that leprosy upon him. Throughout the beginning of Mark chapter 1, one of the recurring themes that Mark wants us to understand is that with the coming of Jesus Christ, there is the coming of the long-awaited great eschatological king who is going to reverse the curse of sin and introduce the eschatology, the great eschatological hope of God's people. When Jesus turns and he touches... He reverses the curse. Christ in his compassion touches this man, cleanses or cleans this man or cleanses this man. Christ in his compassion reverses the curse that this man is living under. But there's a point in this text that Mark wants us to get. It's not just the drama of Jesus being willing to take on this man's pollution in order to clean him. It is the way that Jesus goes about doing it. That loving people is costly. That loving people requires that you live under the threat of those whom you're trying to help. But notice here, it also means identifying with the person to the point that their status becomes yours. Do you notice what happens after Jesus touches and after he heals? The man, in fulfillment of the conditions of Leviticus 13, goes to the priest to show himself. I'm clean. I can come back into the community. I can come back to temple. I can come and I can offer sacrifice. And I can be one with the people of God again. See? And he goes and he presents himself. What happens to Jesus? Does Jesus... You know, put, a little, put another notch on his sandal. Ah, there's another one. Another miracle. Hey, y'all, did y'all see the miracle? You see what I just did there? I'm awesome, right? 
Jesus touches and he heals, but he goes further. And he takes on the very status of the man. See, a leper was the one who would have been living outside in the deserted places. Where does it say Jesus went after he heals him? We're Presbyterian, but we can talk. Yes, Jesus is the one who ends up in the desolate place. And the man ends up doing what? Running around, talking to everybody and telling everybody that he can of what has happened. He is brought back into community because Jesus goes out. And what we are to learn from this, guys, is that the great healer brings healing by living the life of the one who needs healing. Let me ask you something this, today. Is Jesus still in the business of touching people? Is Jesus still in the business of healing people? Is Jesus still in the business of taking people who are cut off and bringing them back into community? Have you been touched by Jesus? And I don't just mean spiritually. It is my understanding that last Lord's Day, y'all had the privilege of receiving the sacrament of communion. What does it mean to hold the bread and to hold the cup? To whom are they directing you? Jesus says, this is my body. This is my blood. What we need to remember, guys, is that with the coming of Jesus Christ, He has taken the place of those whom he longed to save. He has gone to a cross. He has taken our status of sinner and has given us his status of righteous. But he knows that we're going to struggle to remember that. He knows we're going to struggle to believe that and he knows we're going to struggle to live it out. And so he has given us this blessing of the Lord's Supper in order that we might remember that Christ has, doesn't just touch in the past, but He continues to touch. He continues to connect Himself to His people. He continues to identify Himself with His people. And He wants you to live within that identification as those who were always living by faith, grasping hold of Jesus Christ. Always living as those who are being touched by Christ. And here's why. Because Jesus continues to touch those who are outside the camp. You are no longer outside the camp if you are in Jesus Christ by faith. 
If you are in Christ by faith, you are one who has been brought from outside to inside. You are one who was cut off, could not come to temple. You could not have access to the throne of God. But now in Jesus Christ, we are told that because of his priesthood and because of his sacrifice, we boldly enter into the heavenly throne room of God's grace. We are children. And we live in the house of God because we are his family. But there are still those who are not yet inside. And what does Jesus do? Has he changed his perspective of compassion? Has he changed his means of ministry, of touching, healing, and taking one's place? If only there was some way for him to do this. I mean, isn't the gospel that we proclaim that Jesus came, he accomplished his work, and then he has ascended and sits at the right hand of the throne of God? Yes, the church has the the body and blood and the elements of communion, but what about the people who are outside these walls? How can they be touched by Jesus who sits at the right hand of God? How can they be physically touched where they have someone who comes to them and is willing to be threatened by being close to them and by being identified with them and actually reach out and touch them. If only there was some kind of like extension of God's body. One person got that. We're Presbyterian, but we can laugh. <laughs> if only there was some extension of Christ's body that was still here. Amen. That had hands. That had feet. That had hearts. That were enraged by the sinful condition of this world. And filled with the hope that there is a greater world to come. There's a reason Jesus doesn't save us and take us to heaven. We are his body that still exists here on earth. And we exist with a purpose. And that purpose includes going to those who feel exiled from the community And reaching out, and if anything, just physically touching them. Now, I am a good Irish Presbyterian, and I don't like to be touched by anybody. (laughs) Unless it is in football or wrestling, something aggressive. I don't even like that anymore because I'm too old. But beloved, that's why we are here. And we are here to preach the gospel. We are here to administer the word and the sacraments and prayer. We are here to be a place of worship. We are here to be that place where the the grace of God flows through his people into the world. But make no mistake, quite often that is communicated simply 
by being willing to identify with people who were cut off, who were seen as being unimportant, and may even be considered to be polluted, and to join them in their status of pollution and touching. There's a reason that we are told to greet one another with a holy kiss. By the way, you know the difference between a holy kiss and an unholy kiss. About three seconds. <laughs> My understanding of this church in the short time that I've been here is that you guys have prioritized finding ways within the body to take the screens down. It is my understanding in the short time I've been here that it is your priority to find ways of bringing people in, making them feel welcome, elevating people in their status, whether it be race, economics, whatever it is, even people from the north. (laughs) My encouragement to you is that you have developed this reputation. But don't ever grow satisfied. We have been reminded recently that there is still great hate. But we have also been reminded that there is still a heavenly power that overcomes hate in saying words like, I forgive you. Let us be a people who are willing to take on ourselves the threat of forgiving people. Have you noticed what has happened to our brothers and sisters at Emmanuel AME because they were willing to say, I forgive you? They have come under great pressure They have come under great pressure from those in the white community who have wanted to say, well, it's not genuine. They're just trying to make headlines. And they have come under the pressure of groups like uh, like the Black Panthers who marched through the streets recently saying that you should not be forgiving. Instead, what you should be doing is taking up arms. We have a group around the corner here that they have, been, they have willingly embraced the threat of manifesting Jesus to our city and to this watching world. And it is for us to come alongside them and embrace them, hug them, touch them, let them know, not just in words, but in physical presence, that we are the same children of the same God, that we dwell forever in the same house of God, and what I will experience, you will experience together forevermore because of the reconciliation of Jesus Christ. Let us not just preach these words, let us grab hold of people, and let's touch them. Let's bring down the screens But let's also be willing to be counted as those who have no status. Which, by the way, since the Supreme Court ruling, anyone 
somewhat feeling like maybe you're no longer welcome in your culture? Is that a bad thing? Or is it an opportunity to take upon the status of exile in order to go to those who are truly exiled from God in sin and to reach out and to hug them and to let them know that there is a cleansing that is waiting if they will but go to Jesus and say, if you're willing, heal me. Brothers and sisters, we are to receive Christ and we are to present Christ and we are to do this in a way that reflects the very way that Christ has accomplished these things. We are the agents of the great healer who brings healing and we, like our Savior, we do so by living the life of the ones who need healing. And so go with Christ. Be his living word. Be his hands and be his feet. Turn. Embrace the threat. And touch. For this is what your Savior thinks. This is what your Savior has done. This is what your Savior is still doing. If you will make yourself available. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you all grace and glory for the amazing salvation that you have given us in Jesus Christ. It is so easy to pass over what it meant for us to be outside of Christ because of our sin. And, but we thank you for passages like this that remind us of what it meant for us to be dead in our sins and trespasses. To be cut off from our God and to be dying of a disease, even if we thought things were going well. And we thank you for texts like this that in bringing out to us that pollution that was ours, also elevating in our faith what our Savior has done in order to heal us. It becomes so routine sometimes, God, to talk about things like, well, Jesus came and Jesus went to the cross and Jesus took my sin upon himself and because of that I have now been given his righteousness. And sometimes those words start to get lost in their theology or they tend to get lost because of the way we're not connecting them to our everyday lives. Father, forgive us for this and use your word to increase within us our imaginations that will allow our faith to grow deeper and stronger and higher, that we might really come to understand and to believe what it means for us to be united to this Christ and what it means for us to be his agents, risking the threat of of pollution, risking the threat of physical violence, risking the threat of having people say mean tweets about us. in order that we might make ourselves and therefore you available to the hurt, to the downtrodden, to those who struggle with with disease, those who struggle 
because they are a minority living in a system that is bent against them. Living under the oppression of economic poverty. Whatever it may be, Lord, let us be the ray of hope. Let us be the light of truth that pierces the darkness as we go out and we do things like hug people and we give them food, we give them clothes, and we show them the Jesus who is indignant with their sinful condition to the point of dying for it. Father, may this be the compassion that, com- that controls and therefore motivates us to do all things for your glory and for the joy of your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.